Okay, so we're here at the uh, Turning Point Scotland office up in Banff. Um, it's a lovely day up here today and we're with Ashley uh, this morning, who's a, a peer support worker at Turning Point Scotland um, in their, in their uh, Banff office. And Ashley has kindly agreed to, to talk to us about her experience of being a peer support worker in our uh, journey to being one more generally. So welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Thanks for coming along today. It's nice to see you again. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so tell me a bit about your journey. How did you come, come to Turning Point and how did you end up being a peer support worker? Okay, my story, um, we have to go back quite a few years now. Um, I will say I am 41 I'm years old at present and we, I'll take you back to, I had um, my daughter when I was age 16. Okay. Um, I actually fell pregnant when I was 16. I had her when I was still 16. Um, so, yeah, life, I was a bit of a, bit of a unruly child and what have you growing up, you know, un, undiagnosed ADHD. I was mm. a bit mischievous and liked to hang around with the boys and do boy kind of things and so yeah I kind of knew I wasn't very a girly girl okay. um, growing up um, like I say I had my daughter age 16 I was in a relationship with her dad and we was actually in a relationship for 17 years um, but unfortunately at the age of 21 um, I found myself in a flat one night and some people were smoking heroin through in the kitchen. Right, okay. So my natural inquisitive, oh, what's this? I'm going to have some of this. Um, even though I was told, no, you shouldn't. I had the attitude and this is my reasoning. And I've always said the reason that I took heroin was because I had the idea of I can do what I want mm. and nobody's going to tell me what I can and cannot do. Mm. And that was my reason for taking it. And looking back, it was it's just madness, but that was my, my green light to, to, for me to say it's was, okay, yeah. you can do this, because no one can tell you what you can and can't do. That was your thinking. That, that was that my thought. attitude at the time. I think my, a lot of us as youngsters feel quite yeah, indestructible that, and that rebellious. Was exactly what <laughs> it was. Um, it, it was a total rebellion thing, and mm. it was... I will smoke this. Nobody's going to tell me what I can and cannot do. Mm. Um, so I'm not going to say, like, there was no trauma or anything, like, I can say okay. led me to getting into heroin. It was a pure fact of I can do what I want. Okay. No one's going to tell me what I can and cannot do. So... Because you hear a lot about how people got into it. About self-medicating. Definitely. It sounds like it wasn't the case. It wasn't the case at all. It was just within a house one night. Um, The opportunity was there and I took it. Mm. You know, even though people within the house did tell me not to, um, like I say, my attitude was I Mm. can do what I want. Um, I'm 21 years old, you know. Um, Full of experience and full of life at 21 years old. I hadn't a clue. Um, I was so naive, I had no, I actually didn't even know how much physically addicted you could get to heroin. Yeah. I actually had no clue yeah. about the physical physical um, withdrawals or anything. So very quickly I got to realise, um, very quickly, within a few couple of days of actually um, smoking it, 
um, that I did actually find myself, I, I had a habit because I was very, very unwell when I did not have this heroin. Goodness me, in a couple of days? Within a few days, yeah. Okay. I'm constantly smoking it for a few days. Mm. <clears throat> then then one of the days I didn't have any, I was very unwell. I was like, what's wrong with me? Mm. And then I very quickly realised that if I went and smoked a bit of heroin, I would suddenly feel a lot better. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of, that was my step way into it, that very gradually, yes, that I realised, oh, I'm okay when I'm smoking it, but when I'm, I've not got it, I'm not feeling very well. Mm. Oh, I need to go and get some. Mm. Very, very naive at the time. Um, early, like I said, I was early twenties. So, yes, um, that actually, unfortunately, proceeded for ten whole years. Wow. Okay. Ten whole years that went on for. That would have been the whole of your twenties. The whole then? of my twenties. Yep. Yeah, right. From twenty to. 31, okay. 32, um, my life then consisted of having to have heroin every single morning so I could function, um, I couldn't uh, get out of my bed unless I knew I was going to wait to get some, mm -hmm. I would stay in my bed until I had organised where I was going to get from, I couldn't get up, I couldn't see my daughter, I couldn't uh, do nothing physically, I couldn't wash, I... In fact, I think there was probably a time for I went months, and I mean months, mm. if even a year, without washing. Okay. Because the f pure fact that I was in, in, in such a deep addiction, getting washed wasn't a priority to me. Mm. The thought of putting cold water on my body scared me to death because it instantly put me into withdrawal. Mm. You know, it was... It, it, um, the living, I was basically, I was a heroin addict for 10 years, but I would say 99% of that time I was probably strung out, you know, in withdrawals because okay. I didn't have the money to right. constantly keep this habit going. Um, so that actually led me into dealing heroin because that way I could sustain my own habit and also get money back in for another bit. That's my bit sorted for the next mm. day. So... I never set out to do that, but that's how it ended up becoming. Mm -hmm. So you're speaking like, well, eight at least eight years into my heroin addiction, that's when I had turned to dealing to to um, keep my habit going. And so that involved a lot of police activity as well. Um, raided, my door was, my house was raided umpteen times. Um, I was stopped in the car loads of times coming to and from Aberdeen um, carrying drugs. I was just, I was never actually caught with anything. Um, if I did have, I would have been in jail and it might have actually been the end to mm -hmm. my, my criminality and, and my addiction maybe a little bit sooner, but I don't know. I had tried and failed multiple times on the methadone prescription, but in that time that I was on my methadone and I was going seeing CPNs, I was having to put in samples, I was lying, I was cheating, mm -hmm. I was going in there with other people's samples, I was going in and trying to water down my own sample so that I thought that the, it wouldn't be picked up. It obviously was every time. But back then, if you tested positive for drugs while you were receiving your methadone prescription, you were kicked off your prescription. Mm -hmm for putting in dirty samples. Um, 
and that was the mm-hmm. case with me umpteen times. You know, I was I I could be non ninety millimethadone, but because I put in more than one dirty sample, that was it. You're off your medication. So yeah. very quickly, I was taken off on like ninety mils of methadone. Mm-hmm. Back to square one using the heroin but also craving to be back on a methadone script because I wanted didn't want that life you know and it was just very catch 22 all the time um so I did try and fail a lot of times on the methadone prescription so and I have to say at the time that was the only alternative Mm. that was the only alternative um that was available to help people um in their addiction. So you've kind of had this horrendous time in your 20s yes. where what perhaps is a bit of a um, young person's maybe a bit of juvenile and a foolish decision right. to try a drug at a party. Very immature. Very quickly mm-hmm. spiralled into dependency and criminality. Yes, I for a whole 10 years the 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 trauma, the guilt, the, the, the shame that I brought on myself, brought on my family, mm-hmm. you know, it was not mm-hmm. just me, I therefore involved my whole family mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you could say, BAMP's number one aeronautic. Okay. Um, it's a huge consequence. Huge consequences huge for my, my whole family yeah. to be aware of this as well. In a small town like BAMP was, was shameful. So um, how, how did you break that cycle? Um, what happened was, um, like I say, I tried and failed multiple times on my methadone prescription. Mm-hmm. So you're talking now 10 years into my addiction, 10 years worth of suffering mm-hmm. and hell. Uh, for my daughter as well, you know, like my daughter's been brought up within this mm-hmm. period. Um, social work were aware, police were aware. Because my door was, uh, because my house was raided again for like the, I don't know, I can't even put a number on it, the, the, the amount of times my house was actually raided, social work become involved and rightly so, they said to me, if you don't stop what you're doing, your daughter's getting taken away from mm-hmm. you. And that was what I needed to be told because within that 10 years, Yes, the police was, you know, but there was never no consequence. There was never no, if you don't stop this, this is what's going to happen. Okay. That was never said to me. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I was I was always getting off with it and always doing it because there was never a consequence. Okay. I was never... And then no, here comes Here this comes this... this black catastrophic consequence. Yes. If you don't stop what you're doing, your daughter's getting taken into care. Okay. And I, I, honestly, as a mother, I would... I was I had had her when I was sixteen. Yeah, yeah. I, that was never ever going to happen. My daughter was never going to get taken away from me. Okay. I was never going to allow that to happen. Um, so it sounds like that's the start of that was the start. Changing. Definitely, okay. my focus f- for getting clean, yes, was my daughter. Um, and that reason, if I don't, my daughter's no longer being going to be in my care. I could not. I could not live as a mother with with that. So. Yes, I did everything the social work asked me for, and we were set children's panels. The children's panel were praising, were praising me, saying, "Look, you are doing so well." So I knew, like they weren't against me; mm-hmm. they were working with me, mm-hmm. and that was good. So, like, and like my my partner at the time, like Chloe's dad, um, like I say, we were in a seventeen-year relationship. 
So I was gave the opportunity then again going to methadone, which I did, and I was successful that time. Okay. I, um, and so I knew, right, I've got this chance again. This is my last chance, basically. Okay. I'm on the methadone. You could feel that last yes, chance. Yes, and I need, yeah, and, 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 it, and it, it was a, a relief, you know, it was a relief for me to be able to say, right, okay, like this time, can I do it this time? Mm. I've got everything in my power telling me to do it, wanting to do it. Um, so, yeah, I had to set myself some goals and think, well, who am I? What do I want to do? Who do I aspire to be like? Uh, my my granda. My granda was just everything to me. Okay. Uh, he, and he was a nursing assistant. He was a character. He was a postie. I mean, he wasn't a great... He didn't have his great title job. You know, he was a postie. He was from Glasgow. He moved up here to Navarre. Mm-hmm. He was then a nursing assistant, and just his whole character. I just, I just loved him. I can see how much he, you meant. Uh, yeah, and I just, I thought no. I, I, he had obviously seen me being unwell as well within the town okay. and stuff like that, and he used to give me some money. But again, it was like it was horrible because it was like, did I know he knew and mm-hmm. things like that, you know? So. So is he kind of part of your motivation as things were starting yes, to turn around yes, to be, again, aspire to be like him? Yes, but unfortunately he passed away. Okay. So that gave me actually more of a drive to say, right, I'm going to show to him because actually he actually he was still alive. No, I'll just rewind a little back, a little bit back. Mm-hmm. My focus, therefore, when I got when I got. You know that from the 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 um the children's panel and social work. If you don't stop what you're doing, so I I knew I had to do something. I was like, well, what what can I do? What can I do? I I need to work. Like I really need to work. I read. I need to prove myself. I can't work. I've had jobs in the past. Mm. I mean, I've always been a worker. Like mm. I don't like not working. I like to earn my own money. Perfectly well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just being normal and um, so I knew I was like, well, nobody's going to employ me. Nobody, yeah, I yeah. knew that. Um, I was unemployable, basically. Mm. I knew that within Banff. And I thought, well, what can I do? What can I do? And I actually did go and apply for a job, and I never got it. And the lady said, we appreciate your honesty, because I was very honest with okay. them. I was just, I was new, to get, I was trying to get into recovery and mm. get myself better. And I was looking for a job, and I was honest. And she says, look, she says, if you were maybe next year in your recovery, we would have two years, she says, but really appreciate your honesty. And she says, I think I might have someone that can help you possibly. Would you be interested in doing volunteer work? Volunteer work? No. Aye. Okay, then. I was like, yes, okay. So I volunteered in a cafe um, over the course of the summer. working in a cafe, which is like baking rolls uh, and serving um, coffees and stuff like that. So I volunteered there for the course of the summer and I loved it. Mm. And um, there was actually a job coming up at the nursing home up at, up at the top of the town. So I thought, right, I'm going to apply for a job at the nursing home. I really want to be a carer. And was that to do like you are saying with your, with your granddad? No, he was still alive then. Okay. He was still here then. Okay. So... Um, the lady from, the, you know, the cafe, she gave me a good reference. Okay. I went up to the nursing home. Obviously, honesty, all the way. I knew I had to mm-hmm. be honest. I, if I wasn't honest, 
I knew someone else was going to take great pleasure in saying, Going did back you to know, Bath, being a small Yes, town did you know she was a heaven or okay. Do you know who she is or what she is and what she's been? I knew that already. Mm-hmm. I knew people were ready to jump in. And so I thought, I'm going to tell Get them. Get there first. Get there first. Be honest. So I told the, the boss, the lady of the, the, the nursing home, my past. I told her, I explained how keen I was to get back get into work, you know, I just needed somebody to give me a chance. I explained that I had went for a job previously and she says, has your past stopped you from getting a job? Mm. And I says, yes, it has. And she looked at me and she says, well, not here, it won't. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I was like, thank you so much. So that lady that said that to me, not here, it won't, like, she gave me the chance and I'll never, ever forget that um that one person giving me that chance i grabbed it and i tell you i've never looked back Mm. because that was an opportunity that i that probably might never have got again Mm. so therefore yes she says i'll give you a trial a couple of weeks so i did my trial i got taken back into the office and i was told we've been hearing some very good things about you ashley i was like okay good she said, we would like to offer you a full-time post. She says, but upstairs in the nursing unit, 24-hour care, we really think you'd be suited for up there. Okay. It's like, fine, I've never been up upstairs. I never, it was like 24-hour um, care and also palliative care as well. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I went upstairs to work and I actually worked up in the nursing home for like four years. Okay. Got my SPQ and everything up there. So, yeah, my granddad... My granddad was still alive then when I worked at the nursing home, but he did pass. He did pass away at Christmas time, um, in December. Um, so that was yeah, that was a sad time. But like, I kept going, kept going, kept my focus on my work, um, and my recovery. But within that time, also I'd 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 rewind a little bit. I'd I'd also got myself a dog, a German Shorthair Pointer dog, and he was my savior. In my recovery, he got me out every single day. He had a, I had a focus, and we just loved the outdoors. You know, the fields, the woods, the beach, everywhere. My surroundings here in Banff was just what I took for granted for like twenty thirty years was just absolutely beautiful. It's for, amazing, isn't it? For so what, like it, my eyes was finally opened as yeah. to what what we actually had here the, in Bath. My dog showed you another side of totally this small did. town that you were living in, yeah, and it was so always it was always the opposite end as well. We used to go there. Like, it didn't ever come down to the shops down to town. We were just always away up to the countryside. It was out just the woods. Yeah, and it was just a small. total different way of life. And you found that like therapeutic. Definitely and hearing you say. That helped me massively That's in my recovery. recovery. Yeah, yeah. Definitely was yeah. getting outdoors, getting out, having a focus, yeah. getting out every single day. Rain or shine every Just day. breaking that that repetitive cycle as well of you know the who you were hanging around with that mm. that whole cycle. So yeah, I mean, I worked at ARI and I worked at the nursing home for four years, and then I just felt this. I was. I wanted more, I wanted more, I wanted to be more than just a carer mm. and that, the position in the, in the nursing home was you were a carer or you were a trained nurse. Okay. I wasn't a trained nurse, and I, was not, I don't think I was ever going to be, I, I wasn't going to go to university, I'd, I would have to go to college for a couple of years, I'd have to go to university, that wasn't within me, I didn't, I didn't have that, that learning academic, like, that head on me, mm. I just wanted to work 
Um, so yeah, I found myself quite thinking, oh, after doing my SVQ, I want more, I want more, I want more than this. And yeah, like I say, I idolised my granddad and um, uh, my dream was to work in ERI mm. at Aberdeen Royal Infirmary. And I knew that he would be so proud of me if I was to ever go and work in there. And so that was a dream um, that I pursued. And I applied for three jobs at ERI and I got offered two out of the three jobs. So yeah, I couldn't believe it. I just, um, I grabbed that opportunity. Mm. Um, so that was 2014 okay. that I moved into Aberdeen. I split up with my ex-partner. Mm. Um, like I said, I was doing well in my recovery and I, I moved into Aberdeen and I started working in the RI mm. and just, oh, the learning experiences. They, I started off as a nursing assistant. I actually worked my way up to senior nursing assistant. They were encouraging me to go for like fast track in, sure. in nursing yeah. and stuff like that. Um, absolutely loved my job. And I worked in Board 101 Initial Assessment. Very busy board, mm. very busy board. Um, having people come down, being assessed, and then moved on to other wards. And I just I just thrived there. I just absolutely loved it. And I found my comfort zone as well, helping people. Mm. And especially those people that I found coming in with addiction problems, mental health problems and Especially I imagine. Yeah. And being relate but you know, having that being relatable to them without them actually knowing, you know, and just having yeah, that compassion yeah. that maybe other staff members didn't necessarily mm. have because mm. they didn't know what that situation felt like to be mm. in. Astonishing. Yeah, so, so it sounds like your thirties were so very different to your twenties. Yes, definitely. But that stepwise kind of building of, of a way out Yes. Of what had been, you must have felt like a very different person in that. Yes, I just knew that I was very determined to reach my goals. I knew the the lifestyle and life that I had had for 10 years of hell. Mm. I was doing everything in my power to completely flip that on its side and say, right, I'm living my best life now. I'm out here helping people. Um, I am... I'm proving that I am a good person, you know, I'm bringing pride back to my family, you know, I'm rebuilding bridges, basically. It sounds like a lot of strength to me, Aye. to go from what you've outlined in your 20s yes. to what you've outlined in your 30s. Where's that strength come from? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, honestly, I don't know. Like I say, my, my, uh, my determination and in, in, uh, my addiction was very strong. Um, like for going scoring and what have you. So like I, I knew I was a very determined person anyway. So I just used that determination in my recovery. The other way around. Yeah. You used that to get out of that yes. situation. And like you were saying, that, that period in your 20s, it wasn't... It was hell. It, yeah. It was hellish, yeah. And it needed a lot of determination in another destructive I, way. But you turned that around and used it... Yes. To get out of it. Okay. I had to, yeah, and, and I really and once I was once I was on that path and something clicked, like that was it. There was mm. no going back. Mm. Was, once I was on that path, that was me. I was on it and I was running mm. and I was never coming back. I was never going to move back to Banff. Mm. I was in Aberdeen, my focus was on my work, um I got a new partner, we were looking we got engaged, we were looking into getting married. Mm. Um yeah, so I was just really focused on my work. I was just loving life. 
Um, my daughter was 16, she was, she was living with her dad. Um, me and my partner, ex-partner had split up. Um, so yeah, 2014, 2015, 2016, I was living my best life, working in the RI, mm. um, living with my partner, um, travel, actually moved to Inverurie, moved in with him in Inverurie, so therefore I was travelling back and forth to ARI, just getting on with life, you know, having a good wage coming in every month, just living my life, um, be still being in contact with my daughter, but she actually, she was, she was growing up, she was having her own life, she mm. actually met her partner, mm. they actually bought a flat in Aberdeen, mm. so you know I had had contact with her in Aberdeen, I had my job in Aberdeen, yeah, and things was going really good, things was going well, um, so take you up to like 2016, I got married, I got married and Therefore, I fell preg pre pregnant. Mm. Um, so wow, here's me, the grown-up daughter working in ARI, and my daughter's like eighteen years old, and here's me pregnant. Um, I was like, okay, that's never what I'd planned, not like you know, expected, but it's not been expected but at all. But it's, that's what happened. That's life, and um, so yeah, I had I had my little boy, and then I went, I was off maternity leave, and I went back to work, and. Um, my daughter was actually looking after him and my my, part, my, 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 my husband okay. was looking after him as well. So mm. yeah, and then, and then my daughter actually fell pregnant as well. And then I fell pregnant again mm. with my little girl. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was working away in, in the RI and um, we had a family tragedy. So I just had my daughter then as well. Mm. So it was 2018. I realised that I wasn't really wanting to go back to work okay. with my two babies. Okay. I had a lot of anxiety, yeah, yeah. postnatal depression. And, and your family I, suffered this tragedy. My family well. had suffered this, this major tragedy. Okay. And I f my, my daughter and her partner had actually bought a house in Macduff. Um, so they had moved back to Macduff. I was living in Inverurie. My husband, I wasn't going back to work. I had two small babies. And the chance came up for a house to rent in Banff. My, my husband's cousin okay. had a house for rent to Banff. Back in Banff. And we came back here one day, we was picking up, was collecting photos, my husband's a photographer, and was collecting photos for him to scan. And he came out of the house and he says, oh, Stuart's doing that house up, he's going to be putting it out to rent. And something just clicked in my head and I thought, will we rent it? Will, will we, actually? Will... And we went home to Inverurie and I just stood in the kitchen and I just started bawling greeting and I just broke down and I was like, do you know what? I was like standing in the house in Inverurie and I was like, do you know what? I've got nothing here. I've got no family. Mm. I don't know anyone. I, do I really want to bring my babies up in Inverurie? Like I say, my daughter that suffered a tragedy had moved back to Macduff. Everything was just seemed to pulling be back pulling us back, back here to Bam. Yeah, yeah. Did I want to come back to the life that I had left before? Yes, I did. Not not the life that I wanted to come back to the town that I'd left before, but not the person that I was before. But I wasn't the same person. I was I I completely changed my mentally. My, yeah, I was married. I had two kids. I was well in my recovery, um, and everything was just bringing us drawing us back to Banff. So yeah, we moved back to Banff four years ago, mm -hmm. um, and. 
I suffered quite badly with depression and stuff then. Um, not going out, not getting dressed, okay. because of the, the family tragedy as well that we had suffered. Mm. So I was actually put on medication to help me with mm. my depression, mm. um, which gradually did. So over like a couple of years, yes, I was feeling a lot better. We got a, we got a different house because mm. that was just a rented one. Okay. So we got our own council house. Finally, I felt it's my house, you know, it's, I can settle a bit more as mm -hmm. well because there was always that it wasn't my house and I was never quite settled there. Okay. But once I got my own house and I knew I was settled, kids was going to school and everything, I found myself, you know, mentally feeling a lot better. Okay. And I met him with a, a, an old friend of mine at the school one morning and he's like, hey, Ashley, how are you doing? And that? God, you're looking well. And, how long's that been now since you've been in recovery? Okay. I was like, it's been, oh, 10 years. And he said, 10 years? Like, wow. He's like, oh my goodness, I know this meetings. You need to come along to one of these meetings. Okay. Medication, recovery and me meetings. Right. Um, started up with um, a girl called Victoria and she'd started them up. You need to come along. I was like, okay. So I did. I went along to one of the meetings and he was there and he asked me to do a share, a share my story. Okay. So I shared my story. like we are. Yeah, like, exactly <laughs> like this. Do a little share of your story from where you come and into recovery and what you've done to maintain recovery and what have you. So, um, yeah, I started going to a medication recovery meeting here in Banff. Hmm. That was it started this year. So was that like your first encounter with Turning Point? Yes. Okay. Yes, that was my first encounter with... Um, Turning point again from 15, 10, yeah, over yeah. 10 years ago, yeah. I did access turning point then. They were very, very quite new then, mm. so okay. like I say, it was it, it was actually turning point, were, turning point actually didn't do much back then. They did have a needle exchange and everything, but it was more like your CPNs from Keswick Clinic. Okay. It was Keswick Clinic. And it was a different shape. Different, it was, what? yes, okay. to what it is now. Um, but yeah, I was aware of Turning Point. And my auntie actually worked for Turning Point as well, doing a needle exchange. Okay. So, and actually Turning Point, yeah, I'd been involved with like my ex-partner and stuff, so I was always aware of Turning Point. You, yeah. But, um, so when I actually came back to Banff, and yes, um, Karen came along to one of the meetings in Banff, and I actually was doing my, my main share then, and after the meeting she says, I remember you. Mm. And I was like, do you? Mm. She's like, I can't remember you. She says, I remember you. Mm. And I was like, from years ago, she went, yeah. Mm. And I was just mortified because I was like, I can't remember you. So I can only imagine what you remember of me, of me. from yeah. then. Yeah. She's like, I can't believe it's you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's me. And so yeah, got talking. Obviously explained. I've uh, been in recovery since then. And she's like, wow. She's like, again, yeah, like, obviously you could be a benefit to us and I think Karen when the first thing she mentioned to me was like working in, within prisons and stuff like mm -hmm. that wow it just appealed to me massively and so yeah I got involved um, with Turning Point and so that was kind of you coming that yeah to take up a peer support worker role yes that was the next point. thing it was available offered to me and I hear clearly how that appealed from your lived experience yes. from your I, and your blood just me all over. They're look, what a peer support worker is, like, you know, they're looking for someone that's been, you know, in that position yeah. as well at some okay. point in their lives or 
you know, can relate to it in some way and mm. are now in recovery and now can show people, well, look, yes, I was in your position, yes, I felt as though it was impossible as well, but you can't do it, look at me, mm. I, can, I, I, I can, you know, I've done it, you can do it kind of thing. And so how does that, I, I understand <coughs> that, I get that, but how does that work in practice? Like, how do you connect? So this is yeah. the last year or so. You've Just the been last year. Working with Turning Point yes. as a peer support worker. Yeah. So tell me about how that works. Like, how do you connect with people? What are the, what are the spaces and the forums and the processes? Right, well, you see, we... We hold fortnightly medication and recovery meetings. Um, I facilitate them. Um, and med- medication recovery meetings are about like being stable on medication, finding mm-hmm. acceptance, you know, for being stable on medication or looking to go on to a medication prescription or come off one. Okay. Um, but also it incorporates mental health as well. It's open to, to just to anyone seeking recovery in recovery or you know whatever stage you're at and um, we come together and and you know share our, our stories but not we don't focus on you know the sad stories of the past we mm. focus we keep the focus on recovery how you do it how you maintain it right. what you did to help you recovery is personal to everyone everyone is different mm. you know what worked for me won't work for people mm. it might work for some you know it just it's such a personal journey, people's recovery. So, so how, and how many people are showing up to so, the, so that's the medication recovery yes, meeting every fortnight. Every fortnight, we've got actually got two meetings. With, I do one in Tariff okay. and I do one in Banff. Okay. Um, the Banff one has been running for a year. Victoria set that up. I just, I actually just took over facilitating it in August. Okay. But I've been present at the meetings since the start of the year. Um, we Banff meeting is quite a big meeting. We have about four, 12 to 14 people okay. come regular. Yeah. Yesterday it was actually a smaller meeting, but it was so much more intimate and a lot more time for people to speak as well. Okay. And um, Yeah, the meetings are really just for people to come along and share. And we do like a check-in over your past two weeks. How's okay. your past two weeks been? Okay. You know, is there anything you want to get off your chest? It mm. really is a good place for getting things off your chest, mm. for venting. Mm. you know for relieving some stress and then being other, heard being heard of course yeah. the connection people can be sitting very very lonely mm. but even just coming to the group you know is a big part of their day people look forward to it um, having just that the meeting there in the same company with like minded people you know people mm. that's been there in recovery seeking recovery and um, yeah just just having a common ground for everyone you know to be to be on the same level, you know, as mm. well, just that, just compassion and I respect. I thought it was really powerful what you said about, you know, having discussions with the overall direction that recovery is possible. Yes, we keep, we really do keep the focus on, like, how to recover and, and things that work well. We do a lot of tool work, we do a lot of work on the flip chart, mm. you know, things that work and, you know, things like... Um, your reactions, how you react to people. It's just like um, skills like that, you know, and like keeping things, you know, uh, out of your, we call it your hula hoop. It's the hula hoop tool, you know, okay. things that you don't want to let in. Okay. Other people's, like, you know, influences and what have you. You need to look after yourself, your mental health. It's all about like boundaries as well, setting boundaries. Mm. 
being okay with saying no to mm -hmm. people, you know. Don't be people pleasers, you know. It's like same little life skills. Yeah, yeah. Just About life understanding skills, ourselves confidence. To, yeah. And maybe having different perspectives. That is what helps as well. Yeah. Everyone's got a different point of view on things yeah. and um like I say, what works for some might not work for others. Mm -hmm. So it is it's in just taking little bits away and we have um like lots of information and things like that. Signposting and we're happy and places to go and get help and what have you. So yeah, being a peer support worker and doing my facilitating the meetings and everything, I just, I'm just actually blown away about and, and everything that I've, I've learned as well. I'm always learning, I'm doing courses, I've mm. done interview training to be um, for the Miss Q project for the MAT standards. Okay. I've, been, I've yeah. done training to be an interviewer to see if these um, are being the mass standards are being implemented within services, um. So like I'm actually, whereas I was a big part of the problem mm -hmm. in society, I'm now part of the solution. Come full circle. I have come full circle, mm -hmm. from where I was, being a heroin addict. I am now sitting here today. Ten years into my recovery, worked in ARI. Achieved my goals that I wanted to achieve. I'm, I've done so much training. I'm a peer uh, support worker. I've also done smart training, um, the the training to be a locality interviewer. Um, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, I just just love love it. Um, all this the the training and the opportunities I have got and opportunities that are still arising. I'm grabbing every single mm. one of them because I just love it. I love what I'm doing. I love the fact that I'm, I can help others that were in the same situation that mm. I was. I understand. I'm, I, you know, I've, I'm, I've got empathy. Like I know exactly how that feels. This is the whole lived experience, lived experience. kind of logic, isn't exactly. it? To use that yep. to help others. And if anybody had said to me back then, Ashley, this is what <laughs> you were going to be, I couldn't ever see me getting better. I couldn't see me getting past that withdrawals. I couldn't see me ever being clean, but... Maybe tells a very clear story hope, about hope. what is... Yeah, hope and determination yeah. and just just a real focus for it. I wasn't a bad person, I am a good person. Mm. Let me prove this, mm. you know? it's Just let me be me and I'll show you who I am. Mm. I'm not my addiction. I am Ashley, you know? Well, Ashley, you've shared a lot yeah. of who you are and your story. You. I'm so very grateful. What, what an amazing journey from that hellish time yeah. that you described in your 20s where maybe one yes. foolish decision exactly. led you down, right. down a dreadful path and how you turned that around, how yes. you broke that cycle, yes. even in the face of tragedy and yes. depression mm -hmm. and, and how Banff drew you back. I know, I know. And I honestly... I love it here now. I love being home. I appreciate it so much more for for what it is. Uh, I just I just loving it. Making just, yourself just, yeah. and your family, and I'm sure your granddad too. Yes, very, very proud. proud. And you know, my kids can grow up in Banff now, knowing you know they're not going to get a pointed finger at them. Like mm. your mum's a heroin addict. Mm. You know, like again, hopefully though, and I'm going to be honest with them anyway. Like honestly, there's nothing that things that you always have been. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, 
So this podcast series is about recovery stories, so yeah. this might be an unfair question, but I suppose to finish off, and, and thank you again for mm-hmm. being so candid and sharing um, today, but if you had one message from your recovery, uh, your journey, what would it be? I would just like to say that my main message is recovery is possible. Mm. It really is possible. I was I didn't ever think it was going to be when I was in that situation. But yes, I've uh I I'm glad that that I am sitting where I am today and the reason I am doing this as well and I feel so passionately about it is for the ones that aren't here today mm. that have lost their lives during any active addiction mm. or any other mental health crisis. Um it's your motivation for the ones that, that haven't got a voice anymore yeah. I, I recover loudly so that people don't suffer quietly hmm. you know it's, it's, yeah. I think yeah. that's a, a hugely powerful message Ashley yeah. thank you again welcome. for thank sharing um, yeah that was, that was a fascinating uh, story to listen to thank you thank you you're welcome